Amen. Thanks, Dwight. Thanks, team. Good morning, everybody. I promise you, on Friday, the air conditioning was fixed. It was working. We had guys in here this week. They fixed it. Remember last week, it was so warm in here. Our cooling system uh, was broken. They fixed it. I'm beginning to think, like, maybe this is the enemy or something. So, Satan, you can't thwart us. We are going to worship God no matter what, no matter the environment, no matter the temperature. So, but it... Feel empowered to fan yourself, to fan your neighbor, to fan the people behind you. Do what you got to do to somewhat stay comfortable. No problem. We've got some fans going. My name's Matt, and uh, I lead the team here. And uh, my heart is full right now. Um, I'm in a jovial mood. Uh, I've got my family back together for a week. My boys came home from Alaska. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Like, you don't have to clap for me, like, for that. But, um, yeah, Reese and Levi were up in Alaska working for the summer. They came home on Friday, and our family of five is all together for, for one week. And then, uh, what's that? Yeah, well, my wife's talking to me right now. Like, you guys just talk among yourselves. And then next, next Sunday, actually, we drive our daughter, JC, to Wisconsin. So we're just trying to really maximize this week, the, these seven days of, of being all together. Um, but also at the same time as my heart is full, like, um, I got to be honest, like, like what we're going to talk about this morning and uh, where we're going to try to go in this message, like, I've been conflicted. I've been wrestling. This has been like a, a, a tough one because I, I'm, I'm not sure about some things and I don't have all the answers. And uh, if, I, if, if I wait till I have all the answers, you'll never get a message out of me because I'll never get there. So I, I, I almost feel like we're going to wrestle together this morning and we're going to think through some things together and we're going to go to the word of God together. But we're in this series this summer called Kairos, Kairos. And uh, for those of you who've been traveling with us all summer, you're probably getting sick of me explaining this, but in case there's anybody here for the first time, let me just explain. The word Kairos is a Greek word. For time. You know, we always think of chronos, chronological time, like a timeline. A kairos is different than that. A kairos is, is like a, a moment in time. It's like this, this pregnant birth, birthing of something in the timeline. Uh, and uh, it's the word that Jesus uses in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark when he's launching his public ministry. He says, The time has come, the kingdom of God is here, it's breaking through, it's, it's bursting forth. Repent and believe. And, and so kairos is a, just a, it's a phrase we use um, for those things that feel like they're breaking into our lives and getting our attention. It, it, like where the kingdom of God and our lives sort of intersect in this very tangible, profound way. And Jesus says the, the proper response when that happens, because it's happening all the time, is to pause and observe and reflect and, and to repent and believe and to receive what God has for us and to stand on it and, and to come out on a new trajectory based on what he's saying to us. So what we're doing this summer is we're just trusting and believing that kairoses are happening all the time. God's getting our attention. He's speaking good words to us. And so we're just asking whoever's up front like to share out of the overflow of that. How's God been getting your attention? What's he been speaking to you? What's a good word that he has for you that, that maybe is a good word for all of us? And the sto- I want to share the story behind this particular kairos this morning that I'm going to share out of. So some of you know this. I've shared this before. Um, 
I have a little side hobby, a little side hustle, if you will. I'm a Lyft driver, okay? Like, in case you don't know what Lyft is, like, maybe you've heard of Uber. You know, there's Uber and there's Lyft. There's these, um, these companies that where anybody can become a, not just anybody, but most people can become a driver. And, uh, like, it's sort of like a, you know, think of like a taxi, but with an app, you, you, you call for a ride. Someone comes and picks you up and takes you where you want to go. And uh, I decided to start doing this last October, not as, you know, not for money, but because I started to just really realize I have no context in my life where I interact with people who aren't Christians or, or who aren't church people. I mean, I'm sure I run across them. I'm, I'm sure I intersect with them, but not on a regular basis. And while I love church people, I get sick of them sometimes. You know, not you guys, but, you know, other church people. And, um, like, I, I like to be around people who are different because it challenges me and pushes me and it's refreshing. And uh, so I decided I will become a Lyft driver. So I started last October. I do it just for... Maybe, maybe once a week for a few hours, like on a Friday afternoon or evening. And I uh, used to do it in Grand Rapids. I've been doing it more and more in Holland. So be careful. If you call for a Lyft driver, maybe late at night, you need someone to drive you somewhere. It might be me. Okay. Um, been doing it more in Holland and I've been having some great interactions. I've learned as a Lyft driver to discern, like, do people want to talk or do they just want to be quiet? Some people are just on their phones. I respect that. You know, uh, but I enjoy just engaging people in conversation. And uh, I had an experience um, a couple weeks ago where, where this message is, is going to flow out of. This is what got my attention. I, I got, you know, something pops up. You only get like five seconds to accept it. You, you don't really know where it is. You just know about how far away it is. So I accept it. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's a woman's name. There's a picture of her. And she wants to get um, me to pick her up over by the medical buildings on Riley. So I head over there and I pull up to the building and then you, you kind of wait for them to come out. And uh, this young woman comes out. She's probably like in her late 20s. And uh, she gets in the back seat. We take off to where I'm taking her home to her apartment on the south side. And, uh, you know, like I do, I engage everybody like, hey, how's it going? How you doing? You know, how's your, how's your Friday going? Like, or Monday. Not very good. You know, I didn't get the, I didn't get the results I was hoping for. Like, oh, got this little moment in time right now, maybe to engage so even before I can ask her like like what's going on you know she shares I'm pregnant wasn't planning on being pregnant it's actually she's already got five kids she's not married she, she just started sharing her whole life like it was this little moment where like she just shared her whole life and and she's got five kids and none of the kids are like only a few of them with the same fathers N- none of the kids live with her one of the kids is in foster care. She's not sure who the father is uh, of this child. And, uh, you know, in, in, but, but she shares like, um, but God's got a plan. God's got a plan. He's got a plan, you know, for me. And, you know, and, and I just engaged her in some conversation, you know, and, and I can't remember verbatim, you know, the kind of conversation we had, but it was a really honest conversation. And uh, I shared, well, you know, it sounds like um, this wasn't your plan, like, it doesn't sound like this was something you were planning. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not, even, I'm not even sure this was God's plan. But here's what I do know. God is an expert at taking things that, that are outside of his plan and, and bringing good into them. And he's an expert at, at fixing broken things. And he's an expert at bringing shalom to chaos, you know, if you let him. 
if you trust him, if you follow him. And we start talking about, does she have any good people in her life? And where does she go to church? She doesn't go to church. And she doesn't have a car. And, uh, but there's a church right around the corner from her. And we start talking about what it would be like to just go there. And then when I dropped her off, she let me pray for her. I don't always get to do this. This is kind of a rare thing in, in my lift driving because I'm not trying to push anything. But it just felt like God was creating this moment. And, and I got to pray for her. And um, it was really powerful. And I've been praying for her every day ever since. But it started to just stir this, this question in me. And I think it sort of begs the question, is everything that happens a part of some big master blueprint plan that God has for each of our lives? I mean, things that result from disobedience or sin, are they part of God's plan? Things that happen because of evil or, or brokenness, they, they aren't part of God's plan, are they? I'm just saying, and I'm just wondering, this is part of my wrestling out loud you know, with you guys. I'm, I'm just wondering if sometimes we slap that label, God's plan, on things that maybe aren't God's plan, or at least his desire, or at least his, his will and purpose for our lives. And I, I wonder if we even sometimes subconsciously slap that tagline on, you know, to things to sort of justify maybe some of our own decisions at times. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. I mean, because there's a lot going on in a lot of people's lives right now. You know, just I I sat at a a funeral on Wednesday, one of the most powerful home sendings I've ever been a part of with, with the doctor family and, you know, Todd's brother, Troy, 48 years old lost his, his battle to cancer, but has been swallowed up in victory in Jesus. But like, is that God's plan? Is cancer God's plan? Is, is death God's plan? Got a text this morning from Jill Fisher, who, who has led our, our children's ministry this past year. Like her, her brother died this morning in Texas. I know there's others of you in this room who recently have, have lost loved ones. Like, like, death can't be part of God's plan for us. And I started thinking of other things. Like, I always think of my friend Chris. You know, Chris, you've, we've, we've talked about this. Like, when Chris was born, you guys have heard his story. The umbilical cord was wrapped around his, his, his neck. He couldn't breathe, and, and he's got cerebral palsy. Like, is that God's plan? Really? Is that God's pl- plan and desire? What about, like, divorce? Divorce can't be... God's desire or plan. I, I sat with a young person last week whose friend um, had just experienced, you know, like a really serious violation of, of her body. And uh, that can't be God's plan. Cancer, orphanages, refugee camps, addictions, gender, sexuality, confusion, homelessness, miscarriages, things like, big things like the Holocaust, you know, or, or what about natural things like, like Tucson? tsunamis and tornadoes and hurricanes, fires. I mean, when you really start to think like this, like, like what? Wait, what is God's plan? Is everything God's plan? Okay, maybe they aren't God's plans, but he allows them. How is that any better? You know, what, what kind of God is this? I mean, do you, do you ever think thoughts like this or, or wrestle through things like this? That's what I've been wrestling with in... Um, I, I, like three times this week, I, just, like I got really close to like, we can't talk about this. I don't know the answer to this. Like, how can we talk about this? But I think it's good to talk about things like this. This is the kairos that's getting my attention lately. 
Here's the question. What is the result of God's plan? What is the result of our choices? And what is just simply chalked up to this world is broken? These are deep theological questions. I mean, as Christians, here's the things we say we believe. God is omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything. God is omnipresent, meaning God is all-present everywhere at all times. But exactly how all these things come together and interact, there's some mystery in there. I'm not sure exactly how it all goes together, and it's really easy to kind of get into the weeds a little bit and to, to really major on, on like, the, the, the subtleties. You know, like, like, for instance, you know, there's, like, four or more streams of thought that are, are, are people trying to explain how this all works. I mean, a lot of us come out of a tradition, you know, RCA or CRC and, and Calvinism where, where it's taught that God is in control of everything. His sovereignty determines everything that happens. Nothing happens outside his will. Evil is not from God, but he even determines it sometimes to use for his good purposes. So he's in control even of our eternity. Even before we're born, it's already like predetermined and predestined. You know, that's how some people choose to try to understand it all. There's Molinism. That's a little bit like Calvinism, a little bit different, where God knows all the possible ways history could unfold, given free choice, down to every little detail, and he chooses the best one to, to happen. It's almost like I think of Doctor Strange in Infinity Wars. Anyone seen the Avengers, the Infinity War? Remember Doctor Strange? He's on that planet, and all of a sudden his head's going like this. He's all weirded out, and he's, he's, he's playing out every single scenario that could happen for the battle. And then there's only one where, where there's victory. Like, like, like that would be maybe a, a picture of, of what um, people who believe in Molinism, you know, uh, kind of think how this all works and goes together. There's Arminianism. God knows everything that will happen. He's still powerful. He's all-knowing. Um, but he sort of limits some of his control in the world for the sake of our free will and our free choice. I mean, the future is settled. Evil's not from God, but he gives our free will lots of play. Um, salvation is available to everyone, but you have to choose it. And then there's like, like this open future sort of thought, you know, like the future's partly settled, partly open. God has perfect knowledge of everything, but he gives great liberty to our choices. You know, there's all these schools of thought that try to explain these big questions that I'm not sure there's simple answers to. I'm not sure there's there's easy, satisfactory answers to. And it's easy to get all tangled up in, is it this or is it that or is this how God works? And it's easy to kind of get in the weeds or get in the rough, you know, or get in the woods. But I want to try to stay in the fairway this morning. You know, like that's, a, I'm, I'm using a golfing metaphor for those of you who aren't golfing. I mean, there's the fairway, like, like straight down the middle, and then there's the rough and there's the woods and the pond. That's where I hang out when I golf. I'm, those, I'm, I'm never in the fairway, even in neighborhood golf, right? Like, I, I'm never close to where I'm supposed to be. I'm hitting houses and things like that. And, like, um, I just want to try to hang out in the fairway, though, a little bit. Because people, to be honest, people have been debating this for centuries. People have been trying to understand God for centuries. And I don't know if you can. So, so my disclaimers this morning would be, like, I, I feel somewhat very inadequate trying to 
wrestle with this together. But I think it's worthwhile because I'm not that smart. Plus, I'm mindful that scriptures teach us, like, who are we to know the mind of God? His ways are not like our ways. I mean, God certainly invites us to question. I don't think there's anything wrong with questioning God, with crying out to God, with with letting him have it. I mean, that's the Psalms. The Psalms are just full of people like, God, where are you? You said it was going to be like this, but it's like this. I don't see you. How long, Lord? How long do I have to wait? Where are you? Yet I praise you. I mean, God invites us and expects us to lament. But then I also am mindful, too, of guys like Job. Remember, that? have you read the, the book of Job at all? I mean, I know you know the story of Job, but the book of Job is, is Job and, and his friends especially just questioning God, just trying to explain everything, trying to explain why these, these bad things have happened to a good person. And, and finally, like it's almost comical, you get to the end of Job, Crozier and I were talking about this this week, you get to like Job 38 and, and God says, uh, I'm going to talk now. You know, they've been, they've been letting God have it and questioning and all this stuff. And God finally says, like, brace yourselves. It's my turn to talk now. Like, were you around when I created everything? Do you, do you tell the lightning bolts where to go and keep them in a storehouse? Hey, did, did you put the stripes on the zebra? You know, like, this is this whole, like, chapter and chapter of, of God just asking all these questions, reminding us, like, oh, yeah, that's right, you're God. And, and I'm mortal. I'm not going to understand everything. I don't see everything the way you do. I don't have your perspective on everything. So, so like if you were to, and I'm very conscious of this. I mean, even as the person who, who is called pastor here at Victory Point, if you ask me where and when and why and how God does this or does that, or I, I can't explain it all the time. I, rarely can I. I don't know. I often shake my head and wonder. I, I, I don't know. I can't explain them. Why does he turn up in some people's lives? It seems like he's answering things and not in others. But here's what I do know. I absolutely believe he is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. And exactly how all that works, I don't know. I don't even like everything. And if I understood everything, I wouldn't need faith, right? I mean, if it all made sense to me, why would I need to have faith in him? Sometimes the only thing I know for sure, can you relate to this, is he's God, he's good, and I trust him. Sometimes that's all I can cling to. He's God, I know he's good, because he so loved the world that he gave his son, so he's good, God, and so I trust him even though I don't understand him sometimes. I mean, isn't that what faith is? Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is having confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. So, so back to the fairway, okay? All this was a huge setup saying that this, this interaction with this young woman in my lift experience um, has got me thinking about that verse, that, that verse, that, that one verse that we use a lot, the one that shows up on, on greeting cards and inspirational greeting cards when you get them in the mail, the one that shows up on posters that is probably cross-stitched on grandma's wall somewhere, you know, that, that's printed on coffee cups. We probably run into it on social media at least once a week or every couple weeks. It's even inked on, on people's skin probably somewhere. 
It's this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Admit it, we, we go to that verse a lot, don't we? We, we grab hold of that verse. We, we cling to that verse. Um, we, 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 it's the verse we give graduates when they graduate. Like, man, God's got good things for you. He's got great plans for you. You know, um, or it's that, that verse we cling to. Like, yeah, it's really hard now, but, that's, but, but good things are coming. Good things are coming. The suffering will end soon. The flourishing will begin. Even sometimes... To, to sort of point us towards like the American dream version of, of Christianity. But here's what I've come to understand as I've dived into this verse over the last couple of weeks. I don't think this verse means exactly what we think it means. Remember that, remember that scene? Anybody seen The Princess Bride? Remember The Princess Bride? Isn't that, that's like a great movie. And remember when uh, Inigo is talking to, who's that, I forget the little short bald-headed guy, the Greek guy, what's his name in the movie? Vizini. Remember he keeps using this word, inconceivable. Like, like they cut the rope and he's still climbing the wall. Like, that's inconceivable. You know, everything's inconceivable. And, and, and finally, um, Inigo says, you keep using this word. I do not think this word means what you think it means. Right? I think this verse, we use this verse a lot. And, and I get it, but, but I, I don't think it means exactly what we think it means. I think it means even so much more. And so what I want to do this morning and the rest of the time that we have left, it's possible I might ruin this verse for some of you. I just want to give you a heads up. I might ruin this verse for some of you, but I want to look at it in its context and put it back together with a new frame in hope that when we walk out of here, you love it even more. You love it even more than you did. That's where we're going. Let me pray. We'll dive into it. Father, um, for these next minutes, as we take this journey into this verse, into this story, into your book, we believe that this is no ordinary book. It is the living, breathing word of God, and it is full of life, not just for the people then, but for us in this room today. So hook us up with that. Give us some kairoses this morning. Get our attention on some things. Speak to us. For we are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys know this. This book that we just prayed about, this, this book is for us. It's for you, but it's not written to you. It's written to specific people in a specific moment, in a specific time, in a specific situation and context. That's who it's written to, but it's still for us. So it's always helpful to get the context. It's always helpful to understand like this verse, like what's going on in, in the life of the people that this verse is written to so we can understand it a little better. And I think the, the first thing we need to understand is this verse was written to a people, not a person. It's written to a people, the Israelites, the people of God, God's partners in mission, like his, his chosen bride that later becomes the church. You know, it's written to a people. And these people, the Israelites, happen to find themselves in exile. They've been kicked out of Jerusalem. They've been driven out of Jerusalem. They're in exile, and they're in Babylon. And, and they're in Babylon because 
they're being punished, or I think a more accurate word is they're being disciplined by God for their disobedience. So I think that's worth noting, right? Like choices have consequences. Sometimes, the, you know, we're trying to like, oh, this must be God's plan. Like, no, maybe it's just because I made this choice that I'm experiencing something right now. Okay, they, they, they're being disciplined by God for their disobedience, for their choices. So this, they're back, like most of them are away in Babylon. There's a few left at the, at the house of God. And, and one of them is named Hananiah. And he sort of rises up and he, he proclaims to the Israelites, hey, no worries, don't fret. God is going to free Israel in two years. And all the people are going to come back to Jerusalem and all the articles of the temple that have been hauled away are going to be returned to the temple. Jeremiah, a prophet used by God to speak to his people during this time of exile, he calls out Hananiah. He said, that's not true. That's wrong, Hananiah. They're not coming back in two years. And so what Jeremiah does is he sends a letter to the church to, to the leaders of God's people who are in exile in Babylon. He, he sends a letter to them, and, and this is what he says. And uh, Can you just make these happen? Ethan, I'm going to read it right out of here. Uh, in, in Jeremiah 29, these are the verses right before Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah says this to the people in exile in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that I carried into exile, God's the one that, that pushed them out into exile, that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Hey, also... While you're there building houses and families, verse 7, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you, like that Hananiah guy. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years, not two, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. That's not at all what the Israelites, they like Hananiah's message way better than Jeremiah's message. That's not at all what they wanted to hear. They wanted to be told that they were going home, that their suffering would soon end. Instead, God's plan for them was to stay right where they are and more so, help the people around you where you're at to prosper as a nation. Help the nation that enslaved you 
to prosper for 70 years. Meaning none of this current generation that I'm speaking to right now gets to go back. Kind of reminds us of the the whole story coming out of Egypt, isn't it? And, And having to wander and a whole generation, you know, doesn't get to go into the promised land. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's a little different feel when you read it all in context, isn't it? For I know, the, the, the Hebrew word there is, is yada, like that Seinfeld episode, yada, 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 like the Hebrew word yada. You know, I, I know, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares, I have complete knowledge. I'm the God who sees everything. I have complete knowledge of everything. Nothing is hidden from me, past, present, and future. I know the plans I have for you. And actually, the Hebrew word for plan is slightly different understanding and meaning too. Um, the Hebrew word there for plan, we tend to think of plans, you know, like we think of like, okay, like a plan or a blueprint, you know, something that, I, like I follow the plans to build my life. You know, I have this blueprint. But that's not the, the, the understanding in the, in the Hebrew mindset with this word. The, a better word, I think, is purpose. You know, because if, if it's just one plan, one blueprint, and then what happens when, when you disobey and when you sin and you, you go off? Then like, man, I, I've ruined that one plan and now I got to go to plan B and then I got to go to plan C. I mean, like there's so much pressure in that where, where God is saying, no, it, it's more like I, ha- I know the purposes that I purpose for you. As a people, I have purpose for you. That, that's really more what it entails and captures. I have, I have purpose for you. And that purpose is for you and the people around you to prosper. To, to, and the word there is, is Shalom. For them to, to, to for peace, for for peace to, to, to be present and experience for it, it, like whole complete peace. It, it God's not talking about like like prosper like possessions. Like hey, I'm going to give you lots of possessions. He's like I'm going to make you whole. I'm going to make the people around you whole. I'm I'm going to bring my peace to chaos. I'll give you hope in a future. So. When we understand Jeremiah 29, 11, in context, it's a word to a people, not a person. It's a word to a people, and these people have messed up. And they are experiencing the consequences of their disobedience. And God, through Jeremiah, is reminding them, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Yeah, you're experiencing my discipline right now, but don't lose heart, because I know I'm the God who knows. I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who hears. I'm the God who knows. And I have purpose for you. I have purpose for you even in your mess up. I have purpose for you even in your disobedience. I I have purpose for you. Even in your suffering, right where you are. And this purpose includes paying attention to the people around you. Which I I love that about God. I I think that's a good practice. Because whenever I'm suffering or in a circumstance I don't like, like, if I don't have something else to focus on, all I see is my circumstances. Like, I, I think God's actually kind of smart when he says, like, like, take your focus off yourself and your situation and your circumstance and put it on the people around you and seek their benefit. Help them to prosper. You know, bless them. My purpose isn't just about your shalom, it's about theirs too. I'm moving you towards something and it might take a while, but I promise you, There is hope and there is a future. 
So this is a, it's a word to a specific people in a specific place in a specific time. Does that mean it's not for us right here, right now, today? Absolutely not. Doesn't, doesn't um, Paul say to Timothy that the word of God is, is the, the scriptures are God breathed and they're useful for training and for equipping? Like, just because it's a story that happened a long time ago with a word from a prophet to a people in a moment in time doesn't mean it's not a word for us today. That's the awesomeness of scriptures. That's the, the, the power of, of the Bible. There's a word in here for us today. And I, I think, to me, it's this. God is always, always, always moving humanity and creation towards his good future, a hopeful future. However he does it, however it works, God's at work. That's what I believe. I, don't, I can't explain every single thing about how it all works, but God's at work. And he's moving everything towards a hopeful future. I mean, consider this. Just, just like, you know, we took Jeremiah 29 and 11 and we looked at it in context, I think it's also sometimes helpful to take Jeremiah as a book and look at that in context of the big story, of the big meta-narrative. And that meta-narrative begins in the very first book in this Bible, the book that we call Genesis. It's a book of origins. It's a book that describes how we came to be, how humanity came to be in this world. And it talks about um, how God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. And then God created the first human beings, Adam and then Eve, and it was very good. And God placed them in this amazing garden we called Eden. And Eden was perfect. And, and we're, we're told that there was rivers in this garden and um, there were trees in this garden. God, God gave Adam and Eve meaningful and significant work. God, God invited human partners to join him in, in, in his creation. And he gave them meaningful work and tasks. And there was perfect shalom or peace or wholeness between God and people and between people and people. It was good. You want to know God's plan? That's God's plan. We get it. We get it. We're, we're confronted with a picture of God's plan right away at the very beginning of the scriptures. In the garden, it says, you remember, there's these trees. There, there's the tree of life. And then there's this tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It, it's almost, and a lot of us know this story, but, it, but just appreciate it. It's, it's almost like God had such respect for his creatures, for us, that, that he was almost saying to Adam and Eve, I give all of this to you as a gift, but I'm going to allow you to live however you want. You can choose to live how I created you to live, or you can choose to live, you know, you can make up your own rules and live lives however you want. You can live how you want, or you can live how I created you to live. God's love was so intense that, that he, wanted, he wanted us to choose to love him. Said, it's almost like God says, it's your choice, Adam and Eve. It's your choice. And it's still our choice. Adam and Eve chose to live their way. That happened. And that continues to happen, doesn't it? As we continue to choose to try to live our way. And it doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. It, it, it made a mess of things. Romans, if you, you know, Paul describes it in Romans 8, 18 through 21. He says this. He, 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 Paul's comparing our present suffering in our future glory in Romans 8, starting in verses 18. He says, I consider, you know, that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Then he, listen to this. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Then if you were to continue, he says like, we know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I mean, like when when Adam and Eve chose to live their own way, it affected everything. And we still live in the ramifications of that. And we still contribute to that with our choices to live our way. The world is messed up. It's broken. It wasn't supposed to be like this. We have a picture of what it was supposed to be like. This is the creation we're born into. It's the condition we're born with. And it's why we experience all that list of things like we talked about at the very beginning. But there's also a book at the end of the Bible. It's called Revelation. The last book in the Bible tells us how everything's going to end. And in there, especially as you get into like chapter 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, God says, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make all things new. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. And we get all these details. Interestingly, like it kind of sounds like what we read at the beginning of the Bible. You know, even like Revelation 22 in my Bible, there's a little heading there. It says, Eden restored. Isn't that awesome? Eden will be restored. And, and, it talk, and, and it describes some rivers, Man, just like we had at the beginning. And it describes, there's a tree. There's a tree called the tree of life. Remember, that tree was there at the beginning, but we never got to it. I think God wanted Adam and Eve to get to it. They never got to it. They chose the other tree instead. So God says, that, that tree's still in play. You know, I, I kicked you out, but I'm, I'm bringing it back. That the, the river of the, the tree of life is going to be there. The, even the water in that river is called the, the river of life, the water of life. It's an awesome picture. The, in, in the end of the, of the Bible, it says when the new heaven and new earth comes and even Eden's restored, there's going to be the healing of nations. People will get along. There's going to be, we're going to actively participate as human partners with God in this new creation. There's going to be peace and harmony between God and people and between people and people. It's this awesome picture. We, we, you know what God's plan is? He gives us a picture of it at the very beginning, at the very end. It's still God's plan, and it will come to be. It will happen. We live in between those two books. We kind of live in between those two trees in, in, in a world that, that, that's fallen. But you know what else happened in between those two books? Something else happened you know, in between those two books. Jesus happened. Jesus came. 
Jesus willingly stepped into this creation that is suffering and in, in, um, groaning and longing to be renewed. He, he came into that creation because God so loved the world that, that he gave Jesus, that Jesus willingly came and he stepped in. And somehow, in some mysterious way that I can't explain, through his life, death, and resurrection, he took all the pain, all the brokenness, all the hurt, even death, and he defeated it on the cross. In some mysterious way, he, he took it all inside of him, past, present, and future, and, and he dealt with it, and he, he, de- he gave it a, a death blow. He gave it a death blow. And, and it's almost like the tree of life on this cross, this tree, like the tree of life showed up into our human suffering. And it won't be like this forever. But that doesn't mean we, we live in a waiting room. It doesn't mean we live in this waiting room waiting for that day. See, God's plan was, was human partnership. That's still his plan. That's still our mission. He's invited us like, like that day will come again when Eden will be restored and there'll be no more death. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. But, you know, we don't just sit around hoping and waiting for that. We actively participate with God in the bringing of that to the world. You know, in in um, John 16, remember Jesus said this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble But take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm the tree of life called the cross. And because of the power of the cross, God can take our broken things and make all things new. I'm going to invite the band up. And actually, I'm not going to invite just the band up. I'm going to invite the choir up. Victory Point. We're going to have a choir this morning. We're going to have a choir. We're going to sing a song. But as they come up, I, I just want to give some closing thoughts. I've decided that Jeremiah 29 11, that's a really good verse. That's a most excellent promise. Not just to a people in exile then, but to a people that are still in exile who aren't quite home in a, in a strange and foreign land called a broken earth. May we choose to believe that, that that word to the Israelites spoken through Jeremiah is still a word to us today. For I know the purpose I have for you, says the Lord. Purpose or plans and bring it up. I know the purposes I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and plans to give you a future. That future is coming because of Jesus. In Revelation 5, there's this picture that that John has. And he describes it like this. like God gives John this picture of, of what has happened and what will be. And he describes it this way. Revelation 5, I'm going to begin in verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, 
standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Don't you love that imagery? Your prayers are never, ever, ever in vain. Like there's these creatures collecting them at the, in the throne room of heaven and Jesus acts on them and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tongue tribe language and nation and you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. God's plan is the ultimate and eventual reconciliation and restoration and renewing of all things. That day is coming. The one who came and secured that is coming back. And he's going to make all things new. So let's, sometimes like at the end of a service, we ask you to, Reflect on what God is saying. Today, we just want to remind you of what is true. So we're going to sing this song. Some of you may have heard this song before. Maybe you haven't. But uh, I would invite you, as you sit there, to sing along with the choir on the parts in parentheses and, and on the choruses. And just let the words of this song remind you who God is and what will be. And may that give you hope to continue to continue partnering with him in the proclamation of this truth let's sing this <laughs> 